At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. How many times have we been in seasons of financial hardship and it's easy to feel sorry for ourselves? It's easy to compare ourselves to other people and their situations. And I said this in the last service, comparison is the thief of joy. The enemy wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy your purpose and he wants to kill your life. All those things, steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. But Jesus has come to give you life to the fullest, not just in heaven one day, which is what we've been singing about. But right now, how do you have joy in the midst of your trial, whether it be poverty or prosperity? He's saying, let the lowly brother or sister boast in their exaltation. It's the attitude of the heart when you're in the middle of the storm, when it's temptation to feel sorry for yourself and get bitter and its enemy whisper those lies, God doesn't really love you. If God really loved you, he wouldn't be allowing you to go through this pain. What kind of good God would do that? And you start taking your eyes off your sovereign savior and allowing the emotion of your circumstances to dictate your behavior. Don't forget, emotions are good indicators. They're just not great decision makers. Do not let your emotion dictate your behavior. It indicates something like a good check engine light, right? But always put it through the, the, the litmus test of God's word. What does God's word have to say in the midst of my emotion, in the midst of my circumstances, which I can't control, but I can Grab on to the right, proper response by the power of his Holy Spirit as he changes my heart. And I lean into his word, which is not only true, but I can trust him. Why? Because he's a good father and he loves us. And he's working all these things out for my good and his glory in the midst of my pain. It's easier said than done though, right? We hear the amen. I hear that. I I praise the Lord. But you may be sitting, you don't know my situation, Travis. I'm in a really horrible time right now and I'm just barely making my head above water. I don't even know how I got here this morning. Maybe I'm going through a a horrible time in my marriage. My spouse and I are on the rocks. I am struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with my thought life. I'm struggling with anger. I am so angry and I don't even know why. Jesus is with you right now and he's whispering, do you trust me in the midst of this? That's what James is talking about. How do you be exalting in the midst of your lowliness? So it begs to ask the question, how many of you felt lowly before? I've talked to a lot of people over the years as a chaplain. That's pretty much what I deal with is with people's pain on a regular basis, uh, whether it be through deployments or combat stress or failed rescues, now that it's body recoveries, dealing with dead and death and loss. And after talking to many folks over the years, I've, I've, I've wrote some things down. This is what lowly can feel like for them, and maybe you can relate. You know, Travis, I'm not really rich. I grew up kind of, just kind of, just barely above the poverty level. I'm just kind of making ends meet. I'm not brilliant. I'm not like some of my friends who have all the degrees and they were most successful and they were smartest and they always, I'm not an A student. I'm kind of a C student. I'm kind of average. When I talk, people don't really pay attention to me a lot. I often feel like I go unnoticed. If I wasn't here today, probably nobody would ever know. They maybe not even care. They don't ask my opinion. They don't want to be like me. They don't pay attention to me. 
Maybe they, like you, have felt lowly. Maybe that's where you're at today. The truth is the culture we live in is not trending favorably toward Christians. And there's a temptation the enemy whispers to us that we find our identity through what the culture says about us. Look this way, talk this way, have this certain status, this certain education, because you can buy your sense of identity. You can buy that sense of what? Look at what you've accomplished. Look at what you've done. And it takes the good things of God. Education's great. Having things is not bad. Having a position of power and influence is not bad. It's the motivation and where is that leading to is what James is saying. We end up making ourselves the treasure and God's stuff the treasure as opposed to Jesus being the hero. And that's where the enemy slips in if we're not careful. Remember, our net worth does not determine our self-worth. Our net worth does not determine our self. And I'm not talking about just the money in the bank. It's our position, our identity. First, here's the problem with that. The world's way is not God's way, right? And it's often countercultural. The world says, your net worth is established, your self-worth. And in James's day, if you had enough money, you can buy influence, you can buy position, you can buy power. Look at what I've done. Look at me. And if you've made yourself, if you come out of the bootstrap of a poverty and, and, and hard times, and you've made something for yourself, man, don't be ashamed of that. But who gave you that strength? Who gave you that ability? Who gave you that opportunity? God has given you certain gifts and abilities right now, wherever you're at, for his glory and others. Because you may have been that person that God brought to you because they were at a place of influence and they pointed you to Jesus. Amen? And so you've got to think about that. Everything happens for a reason. See, there is no one more valuable than Jesus. And he's literally telling us don't miss the message of the story. It's not about little or a lot. It's about me. It's about Christ. It's what he's, he's referring back to himself here. So as Christians, he's saying, I bought you with a price, with my shed blood of the cross. I did it because I love you. And I didn't do that just for nothing. I don't want you to waste your life. What are you doing with your gifts? I'm not saying it's not bad to have good things or little things or to feel sorry for us. I'm not saying it. it's not about the stuff. If I could say anything you could get from today's message, it is wherever you're at with whatever you have, are you using it for God's glory to point people to Jesus? So what does the Bible call us to do when we are lowly then? Well, he says boast in our exaltation. Now, where is that coming from? Well, many scholars pull from a lot of different places, one of those being Jeremiah chapter 9. I'm going to read this to you. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this. And here it is, folks, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. And for all these things I delight, declares the Lord. I, I often think of Micah 6, 8, right? What, what does God call us to do? To, to, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God. And, and boasting in Christ and his grace is truly appropriate, whether you're lowly or you have a lot. 
And he's, James here is instructing the person who's enduring a trial of poverty to have topanos, to have the right humble spirit in the midst of your horrible circumstance it feels right now, the midst of the pressing, of the crushing, which is so hard. And you're like, well, you don't know my life. You don't know what I'm going through. And James is saying, but I know the one who does. Trust him. That's why Jesus says things like in Luke 6, 20, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. It's not just talking about poor poverty, but poor in spirit. Humility is what he's talking about, folks. And later on in James 2, 5, he affirms this exaltation by saying, listen, my, listen, beloved, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? That's it, folks, right there. And you might be thinking, this seems so weird, because it is. It's upside down. The famous British writer G.K. Chesterton wrote this about this passage. He called this a paradox. And he says, I quote, a paradox is truth standing on its head, shouting as loud as it can to the audience. Wake up. I got something I need you to see here. And you could easily overlook it. God is saying, listen, I'm here. And I see you down there, and you may feel lowly right now, that you feel worthless and dirty and broken and just totally into yourself. I have not forgotten you. I love you, and I have sent my son to come down to you, to rescue you, to bring you out of darkness into light, to give you a hope and a future, not just for more stuff, but to have the greatest treasure of all, my son. But the enemy whispers those lies, doesn't he? You may be down here, but one day, if you surrender to the Lordship of Christ in your life and make Jesus the one thing that drives everything in your life, I'll never leave you, forsake you. I'll see you through that storm. I'll see you through that trial of pain, of suffering, of loss, of brokenness, of despair. And one day, you're going to be exalted with my son as a son and daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. No more suffering. No more pain. No more this. And it's not just about the streets of gold. Don't, don't miss the illustration. Don't miss the point. It's not about the stuff. It's about Jesus. And that is so tough. I keep saying it. I keep beating the drum because that's me. It's so easy to get comfortable with my, my, my prosperity or to get feeling sorry for myself and angry and bitter when I'm lowly in those seasons of poverty or when I thought I was in poverty. Right? It's all about what's going on here and here is what James is talking about. So, don't get, your culture, don't get your identity from your culture around you. It's so tempting, right? Some of us have been tempted to get our identity from that culture, our peers, our family, uh, whatever. And it's hard to boast in the right way. But James is saying when we boast, here's how to boast the right way. Wherever you're at, if you're in a season of lowliness right now, God still loves me. And he's using me right now, even in this very weird situation that I don't understand, I don't even like, I don't even want to be here but I'm trusting him that he's a good father and he's going to see me through. And I may never be where I think I need to be or want to be or compare myself. And you can find that joy in the midst of that trial. That is the secret, folks, because that is a hard thing. It's hard. You may never get that, whatever it is. Don't blame God. Don't get that. I'm telling you, the comparison trap will steal every bit of joy in your life. Use where God has given you right now and position you whether you have a little or a lot, what are you doing with that? And, he's, and so what leads us to our next thing is, if you may be in a trial of poverty, 
But what about if you're on the other side of that? What about if you're on the other side of that? You've, maybe you went through a season of poverty, and now you're in a season of a little bit more prosperity or, or comfort. And this is a tough subject. I spoke to some folks after the service. Anytime you talk about money, it gets a little slippery. And there's a lot of misconceptions about money in the church. Jesus talks a lot about money. The Bible speaks a lot about money and about possessions and where treasure is. And I want to talk about it in light of the gospel. This is not a message about you need to give more to the church. You need to do this. No, I'm not going to talk about that. That's a false gospel. If you just have enough faith and believe and you give, God's going to bless you. That's nowhere found in the scripture. There's a false gospel out there. What I am talking about those, if you are in a season of affluence or, or prosperity, what are you doing with what God's giving? And James is going to talk about that. So let's look at the next point. When you have a mature faith that puts possessions in its proper place, number two, in Christ, prosperity doesn't define us. So if, pros- if poverty doesn't define us, neither does prosperity. Those things don't define us. Only Christ can. Look at verse 10. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now we're going to talk about two things here. We're going to talk about humiliation. We're going to talk also about pursuits. And what is James really trying to say here? He is not here to beat up on rich folks. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is where our heart's at. James doesn't just address the poor. He's also addressing the influential in the church. God has positioned them with certain abilities and gifts. It's not just about the money. It could be your time. It could be your abilities, your your mind. What are you doing with those things? See, God is not going to waste anything. He's going to use you if you're willing to trust him for God's glory and others' good to point them to the hope found in Christ. And so in, in an effort to live in proper perspective to their influence, James is saying this, listen, there may be people around you that God has positioned around you so you can minister to them. He's going to specifically talk about widows and orphans. We'll get to that in a second in our third point. But where is this coming from, this, you know, boast not in your wealth but in your humiliation? That seems kind of weird, right? Where is that coming from? Well, he was referring to one of the places, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, where Isaiah says, All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are grass. And here's the famous verse many of us heard before, chapter 8, I'm sorry, verse 8 of chapter 40. Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stand forever. Amen? And that's the point of this. It's the word of God. What does God's word have to say in light of this circumstance? James points out that wealth will pass away. What does he mean by that? He's using a word, verb, pass away. It's a Greek word we call parakomai, ceasing to exist. And he's, you'll see that referred to in Matthew, which he basically says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not, or my words will remain, right? Um, they'll never pass away. He's talking about that there's going to be a sudden end. If you are in a place of influence, if you are in a place of, and you're thinking, well, I'm not really that rich. You've got to look around. We have these wonderful opportunities to do mission trips, Right? I pray that God, you know, would speak to your heart about that. Don't do it out of what other people are going to think about. You do it because God's called you to do it, right? And whether that be a mission trip here or something local here in the Detroit metro area or here at Romeo or serving in a women's ministry Bible study or men's Bible study or a life group, wherever that may be, taking somebody out for coffee, 
Maybe foster care, adoption, right? We were in the Sanctity of Life Sunday, right? Maybe God's called you to sponsor Compassion Shot or whatever kind of organization. There's a lot of great organizations out there. But wherever that is, God has positioned you, right? Eventually, your life is going to end. And I'm not just talking about heaven and hell. What you're doing, the pursuit of what you're doing, it's going on a particular path. It's leading on a certain journey. The pursuit that you're going on, it's leading somewhere, And at the end of our life, we're going to eventually be standing before God, giving an account for what we have done with what he's given us. I said this in the first service when I went to Afghanistan. After we came back, um, we had to give an after-action report. What did you do? The resources that were given to you, did you use them? What worked? What could you have done different? All those kind of things, right? And so I look at this as kind of like, you know, we have the great white throne judgment where it's uh, do you know Jesus? Do you not know Jesus? That's in Revelation. But there's another judgment seat called the Bema seat. And a lot of folks don't know about that. It's in Revelation. That's the, that's, the, that's the seat, which literally means giving an account for what you've been given. Not just for salvation, but he's speaking specifically to Christians. What have you done with what I gave you? I blessed you with certain knowledge and abilities and gifts and strengths and possessions. Did you position those? Did you leverage those for my kingdom? Or did you just build your own little kingdom? Ouch, right? It's giving an account of what God has given us. And and right here, he said, these are going to pass away. He's reminding the rich that they don't even know when their last day will be. We don't. And and really, it's what kind of legacy are we leaving behind? It's not about giving money to church. It's not about giving to organization. And none of those things are bad. Don't miss the point. It's what are you doing with what God's giving you? Is Christ the one thing that drives everything in your life? That word pursuit is a rendering of the word perea. And James 4.13 probably points to the journey that the pursuit of riches apart from making Jesus the one thing that drives everything, it's going to lead you. It's going to lead you somewhere. I just pray that you are allowing God to lead you instead of allowing your possessions, your influence, your power to lead you. See the difference? John Piper says, when it comes to riches, I quote, the New Testament relentlessly pushes towards simplicity and economy for the sake of the gospel. What does that mean? Well, he also tells young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 18, he says to Timothy, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. He didn't say riches are bad, did he? He didn't say that at all. He just said, hey, if God's blessed you, are you being a blessing to somebody else? That's what he's saying here. And so today, here's, in today's text, James is saying, don't waste your life. We must see that Christ is our treasure and identity and leverage the influence and abundance he's given us to point people to Jesus. See, the best way that we, is, if we're in a place of influence, right, is to position ourselves to point people to Jesus. I'm not talking about giving money to church. It could just be like, I'm taking somebody out for coffee. I'm having somebody over at my house for dinner. That's what we're talking about here. So if a mature faith puts positions in their proper place, and what are we to make those positions, those possessions, whether we have a little or a lot? Number three, if you're taking notes, the last point is people 
are more valuable than possessions. Look at James chapter 1, verse 27. James says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. He's given a, he said, this is what Christianity should look like. Visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, what does he mean by orphans and widows? Well, in the New Testament, when the disciples and apostles were, you know, they were going about the ministry, they were noticing there was a lot of attention being given to the widows and orphans, which were great, right? And, and, and Peter and the disciples were like, we need to raise up some godly men, some godly people that, that could be uh, deacons, that could be uh, God-fearing uh, uh, men and women who are going to, literally the word deacon means under rower. Deaconess for women, deacon for male. It's literally, in the Greek, it's a, a verb for those who are, in the ship, rowing the ship, you don't see them, but they are powering the ship. They are moving that ship to complete the mission, but they don't get any glory, they don't get any honor, and nobody ever pays, knows, but they do it for the right reason. Now, there's a lot of folks talking also, those mostly slaves, that's a word taken from too, from Greek culture, that's a whole thing that was wrong, but from a place, what biblical standard, when we look at deacon, is a person who serves others with a humble spirit. That's what we're talking about here. They're serving the community, particularly those who are afflicted, they're broken hearted, they're in need, they're despondent, widows and orphans, right? It's a soft spot here. And James continues to speak about what true wisdom in following Christ looks like. So he makes a summary, not just about all religion, but about the gospel of Christianity. Basically he's saying this, hey, you want to say you're a Christian and you see a need and you don't do anything about it? Your version of Christianity, your faith is worthless. And you're thinking, Ouch! Whoa, James, let's kind of back it up a little bit. I'm like, come on, man, I love Jesus. I love helping people. You're telling me that if I see a need and I don't do something about it, that my religion is worthless? Well, let's look at what the text says, okay? The gospel of Jesus should propel us to love the forgotten and marginalized while pursuing holiness. So he's talking about two groups of people here. He's talking about those who get caught up in social justice and those who want to just only pursue personal holiness and righteousness, which are both good things. There's a lot of great organizations out there who do great missions work apart from the, 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 the Bible. And on the surface, they may even be looking like they're doing better than many Christian organizations. But it's the reason for the hope that's within you when people ask, First Peter, Always be ready. Why are you giving us this water? Why are you giving us this food? Why are you doing this disaster relief? Why are you helping to build us this home? Which are all great things. It's to point us to the one true treasure. It's to point them to Christ. Amen? So you think about that. Why am I doing what I'm doing? So if we only get caught up in social justice, we're missing the other piece of the gospel. But there's this other piece, the holy righteousness. So I don't need to be in the world. I need to be set apart. That's what righteousness means, to be set apart. I don't need to be caught up in, you know, these, these certain things and certain music, certain lifestyles and certain talk and certain, all the things. Fill in the blank. I'm leaving it open-ended so you can kind of see where I'm not trying to be legalistic, but there is a tendency for many folks to kind of go down the legalistic trail, adding to the Bible all these rules and regulations. I don't want to act like this. I want to act like this because I want to be set apart. I don't want to be tainted by the world. Very interesting passage in Romans chapter 12. It says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be renewed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and there's, there's this thing about being in the world and not of the world. I think there's a challenge that James sees. He understands that it is hard to be in the pain of where people are at, to get down into the muck in mire of people's pain and to walk in their shoes. 
As we used to take hikes with our battalion, we'd literally be walking in sand, you know, 15, 20 miles at times, and you're just tired, the salt's drying on your shirt, and you're just, just like, and you're literally, all you're seeing is the next footstep in front of you, the next one, and you're, and you're just like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to make this, right? And that's literally, and for me, what it kind of meant to walk in somebody else's shoes, right? But many times it's so easy if we get into those situations, the pain and suffering in people's lives, we get lost. And we get lost in who's the real hero in the midst of all this pain. It's not just about getting that person a better house, a better position, a better job, a better whatever. It's about pointing to Jesus and not just pointing to Jesus because he can give them stuff. So there's a a temptation. Oh, God, you're you're giving me good stuff. Great. We can leave this place. And you're like, good job, Travis. That was a good message. I'm going to go back and do my thing. And, you know, great. And you could do that. But I would be doing you a disservice if I did not point you to Christ. This would just be a motivational life talk. James is saying, listen, Christian, God is giving you certain gifts. What are you doing with them? Are you sitting soaking and souring? Are you feeling sorry for yourself? Are you doing it? Because one day there was a person who came to you and did for you what you could not do for yourself. He even positioned people in your life to plant seeds when you were going through a season, unbeknownst to you. Why? Because he loved you that much. And I love people because people are more important than stuff. It's always about people. It's always been about people. It will always be about people. And I try to think about how do you balance personal holiness with social responsibility? I think Jesus does the best job of that. I I could give you some great illustrations of others, but Jesus should always be the hero of that because he shows us the purity of his faith and religious activity before the Father. He understood his proper place. Not my will, but your will be done. Philippians chapter 2 is a great place. It talks about how he literally emptied himself for us. He was up in heaven. He could have been like, you're sinners, go to hell. I'm going back to heaven. See you, mic drop. No, he came on a rescue mission to rescue us, to seek and save us who are lost. And you're like, I'm not lost. I'm right here, Travis. That's a lie. The world wants you to believe. Things are comfortable. Things are good. How could that be a trial? How could that be a trial? It could. See, Jesus won righteousness not by giving into systems and patterns of this world that which said they offered him material glory, particularly when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, but instead renouncing wealth and trusting in his Father God to provide his needs. Not trusting in what wealth can provide, but trusting in the one who gave that. See the difference? We as Christians should be cultural leaders in caring for the needs of the poor and marginalized who are created in the image of God, imago Deo. So I don't care where you're at right now. You maybe feel like you have a little or a lot. God is doing something in your life right now. And the gospel demands a response. You may be sitting here, well, that sounds great. Good job. I'm going to go home and watch whatever I want to watch. And I got a little bit of an emotional thing. It was a great job. Good job. It was a good long TED Talk, spiritual verse. That's great. What are you doing with it? See, see if, if, if we live in such a way that, that places personal profits above the well-being of others, I am actually ungospeling people. I am pointing them to a false gospel. 
And when the gospel demands a response, I need to know that the gospel is for all people. It's for you. It's for you. It's for me. The good news of who Jesus is. And we as Christians must advocate and be involved in the ministry of the poor and marginalized. I, I think of all these things, a great opportunity for serve. Whether it be on a short-term mission trip or here, maybe you're in a life group and you've got a lot of people coming and people are coming to know Jesus and they feel welcome and love. And you know of other people, man, I really wish that they could be a part of this, but our group's too big. I don't think we can do this. I don't think I'm equipped. God may be using you right now to step out in faith and saying, you know what? I'm going to give you everything you need to multiply that group. You're not splitting it. You're multiplying so other people can be a part of what God is doing through your life and what he wants to do in their life. And you may be sitting here going, I don't know how God can use me. I don't even know this Jesus you're talking about. You talked about this rich and poor and people. What about me? You don't know me, Travis. I'm just sitting here because my buddy invited me. I just heard about it online. Or I'm sitting in my couch right now and my PJ's watching this. What, what does he want to do with me? That's the, one of the biggest questions of all. And it's the same question I'll ask for everybody. Who, what, or where is your treasure? My sister, who I grew up with, we, we were raised by two different parents. We kind of got estranged. She's definitely the quintessential prodigal daughter. And I won't go into detail because of time and the band's going to be coming up here in a moment, but I think it's relevant. She wasted a lot of her things. She would say this, her time, talents, and gifts. And she got so consumed with what the world thought or she thought could give her. So she found herself in a very broken place. I won't go into detail, but she lost everything lost her kids, lost her identity. And she found herself in a very dark place. Even my, myself at times, I didn't know if she was saved. That's pretty bad. Because <laughs> if the tomb is empty, anything's possible, amen? And um, got a phone call back in September um, from an unknown number in Texas. And they said that uh, um, this is um, Ashley, a, a, a ministry director of a, of a safe house. It's kind of like a um, celebration recovery type of ministry. If you've ever heard of that, they're great ministries. And Amanda has found herself in our organization through our church, and it's a year-long program which takes people who are drug addicts and, and sexual, sex addicts and all these things who have been hurt and broken, bruised by the world and shares with them the hope of Christ. That God loves them right where they're at, regardless of their past, regardless of the decisions, that God is not done with them yet. And I'll pray for my sister for years. She would just laugh at me. And she'd just, you're just talking religion. Because she saw not only what people saw in public, but she also saw private. And it wasn't always very Christian-like. A lot of our family didn't believe that she would make it through. She's almost halfway through the program right now. And you may be sitting there going, 
what does God want to do with me? God wants to do something amazing more than you ever realize. Because he doesn't make junk. My sister wasn't junk. You're not junk. God died for my sister just as much as God died for you. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? I think about my sister, God, and how she became a Christian. She stepped out of darkness into light, and she got baptized. And there's nothing special about baptism. It's just stepping out in obedience to what you had did in her life, that she made you the one thing that drove everything in your life. And now I see you working in my sister's life, praying for her children to come to Christ, praying for the rest of our family, and praying for Woodside right now. I know she is. She's praying that people would step out of darkness into light. And right now, you may be sitting here going, I don't know what to do, Travis. I am struggling. And is this really real? Have you just been blowing smoke at me, smoke and mirrors? Is this gospel real? Is this Jesus real? And somehow that when Jesus died for you, it counted for you. That believing in faith, see, it's faith that saves us. It's faith, not what we achieve, but what we receive from him. And as the band is coming up right now, Lord, as every eye closed, every head bowed, this is serious stuff. Whether you've been a Christian for a while or you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, this is important work because the Holy Spirit, there's a war going on. The enemy is whispering lies and the Spirit is trying to do his work because the gospel demands a response. What are we going to do with what we've been told today? Are we going to leave this place or are we going to step out and trust you by faith? There's nothing magical about the prayer. It's literally, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your mouth you confess and your heart you believe. That is the gospel. And we're gonna have people down here front. They're gonna be positioned during this invitation time of song. If you want to come talk to somebody, if you want to pray with somebody, there's nothing magical about coming down the aisle. There's nothing magical, but there is something about stepping out. Maybe you just need to pray right there where you're at. Maybe you need to sit while we're standing. Maybe you need to talk to somebody after service because you have questions. That's great. We're here to listen. And Father God, I pray that as we continue this time of worship, that we would not waste our life. And I pray all this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Would you please stand as we respond to the gospel? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.